Welcome to the Young Businessmen of Tulsa podcast. I'm your host, Evan Uitake, and I'm so excited that you've tuned in. Here at the Young Businessmen of Tulsa, our mission is focused on connecting, developing, and inspiring young business leaders to find and pursue their passion. This podcast is sponsored by Trost Marketing. Promoting your business through marketing is essential for growth. Without marketing, you lack the ability to create a conversation with your potential customers. At Trost Marketing, we provide marketing solutions that fuel growth. We are your source for all of your printing needs, as well as branded apparel and promotional items. If your business wants to stand out to potential customers, contact the marketing experts at Trost Marketing. Visit us at trostmarketing.com or call us at 866-492-7820. Young businessmen, welcome to the Young Businessmen of Tulsa podcast. I'm your host, Evan Uitaki. You are joining us for a bonus episode. This is our December luncheon where we had our speaker, Nathan Dom, come and speak to our group. Uh, He is a businessman, an entrepreneur, a community leader. He represents District 33 in the Oklahoma State Senate. And as a constitutional conservative, Nathan draws heavily from his experiences in the formerly communist and currently socialist nation of Romania to inform people of the failures, perils, and evils of socialism. He desires to serve and protect the rights of the people he represents by fighting for their constitutional rights and standing up to those who try to erode the foundation of the Constitution. Now, Nathan spoke to our group about how you can support and pray for your elected officials. And, and ultimately, he illustrated that government is not a thing that is a infomercial, that every once in a while you'll see a commercial for it, you buy it, and then you set it and forget it. This is something that you need to be actively involved in praying for and identifying things that you can do to support people in local government that are ultimately supporting you. So let's join Nathan and listen to his message to young businessmen. Do you want me to use the handheld or the lapel, or both? Uh, both. Both. All right. Well, thank you all for having me. It's an honor to be with you. Um, it's a little bit different. Usually I'm on that side of the podium with all of you. Uh, when I do get the opportunity to be here, um, obviously during session I'm down in Oklahoma City, so I'm not able to attend the lunches then. Um, but usually I make it to four to six of the lunches every year, and I appreciate this organization and uh, what you all are doing. And it's always great to see a, a packed house and see it growing. It seems like every time I come, more and more people are getting involved, more and more sponsors are getting involved. Um, so that's great. Uh, so many of you have helped me throughout the years. Matt has been a huge blessing, um, even in my most recent reelect. Um, so many people that I could, you know, call out each of you individually. You know who you are. I appreciate all your help and, and all of your support and, and this great organization. But one person that I do want to specifically mention, um, my dad is here today. He serves as a missionary over in Romania, has been living over there in that country for over 20 years. Um, still over there, just got back last week, last Monday, uh, flew back. He'll be here about seven weeks stateside. He's going to be traveling to different parts of the U.S., uh, visiting several of the churches that support him and the work over there. Um, he's here in town visiting uh, myself uh, and, of course, my, my nephews, his grandsons. Uh, he gets the opportunity to do that every once in a while. So it's an honor and privilege to have him back here and especially to have him with, with uh, here at this lunch with us. I would not be here without him. So, Dad, uh, got to give honor where honor is due. So I appreciate it. All that you have done for me as well. Uh, I told Matt right before I started that uh, this is a little bit different for me because uh, when I have the opportunity uh, to go and travel, uh, not just within Oklahoma, but I've gone around the U.S. and ministered in churches on, on this subject, 
Um, usually when I go to a church, I'll do a Sunday morning on the importance of Christians being involved in government, on a Sunday night on um, how to pray effectively for the government, and um, I'm kind of consolidating two of those sermons down into 25 minutes here and touching on government as well. So I'm kind of like doing three parts and, and mo moving it all together. But if you've heard me speak on the radio, you know I have no problem going really fast. So <laughs> buckle up. We're going to go really quick through a lot of this stuff. Um, but as, as Christians, it is very important for us to be involved in, in government. And I think a lot of times we have this idea, this mentality, that we shouldn't uh, because politics is dirty. And, and that's true. And I agree with that. And that's why I don't engage in politics. And you'll say, well, how do you do that here, state senator? <laughs> well, politics is different than government, okay? Politics is you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. You do this for me, I'll do that for you quid pro quo, you know, what am I going to get out of this? That's what politics is. And that happens in every area of life. That happens in business, right? That happens in families sometimes. That happens in schools. That even happens in churches. James talked about that, didn't he? He said, you know, if you see somebody dressed really nice and you say, hey, come sit by me, and then you see somebody dressed poorly and you say, no, you sit by my feet, that's playing politics. And he said, we as Christians are not supposed to do that. So there is a difference between politics and government, and I want, to see, I want you all to see that, because we as Christians should be involved in government, but we should not be involved in politics. Because government is very, very impactful. Government can determine the outcome of a nation. Don't believe me? Just look at the former communist nation of Romania. Look at Cuba. Look at North Korea. What's the difference between North and South Korea? It's not the people. It's the system of government, right? And so governments do have an impact on people's lives, on the work of the gospel, on the ministry. Yes, there are still Bibles that get into North Korea. There are still Bibles that get into China, that get into these communist countries. But it's a whole lot easier to proclaim the gospel here in America, especially here in Tulsa, than it is in other countries or even other states where the government is more opposed to the advancement of the gospel, right? So that's why it's so important that we as Christians are involved in government because it, it is a part of God's plan. It does have a role, and as such, we as Christians have a role to play in that. It's God's plan that he has his people his, in positions of leadership in every area of life. He wants godly businessmen and women. He wants godly people in schools, in academia. He wants godly people in the media. He wants godly people in every area of life, especially politics, especially government in that, in that sphere, in that governmental realm. He wants his people in those positions of leadership. Now, I'm not saying everybody here needs to run for office, okay, because I've done that and I know it's not for everybody, all right? I'm not telling you that you have to run. Now, if that's something you're interested in, I'd be glad to talk with you, glad to, glad to give you some advice, some input, help any way I can. So if you think that's the direction God's leading you, let me know because we need more godly people in those positions. But at the very least, we as Christians, every single one of us, has an obligation to be involved in government. And first and foremost, what that looks like is prayer. That's what Paul, writing to Timothy, said, 1 Timothy chapter 2. He said, I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority. Right? And oftentimes, we as Christians just stop at that verse. We just say, well, we're just supposed to pray for kings and all who are in authority, so we just, you know, kind of throw up a Hail Mary, okay, uh, God, please bless President Obama, because I don't really appreciate some of the stuff he's done, so I'll just pray for him and just say, bless him. 
and we kind of stop there. And, and we don't really necessarily know how to effectively pray or what the purpose of that prayer is. But if we keep reading 1 Timothy chapter 2, he goes on and tells us the reason for it so we can lead a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and honesty so that all men can come to know the truth, that there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Right? So that is the purpose of praying for government is so that the people in those government positions can come to know Christ because we all need a Savior. You know, we shouldn't necessarily judge people. We can judge, well, we'll know them by their fruits. And there's a lot of people in the governmental realm that do not have the fruits of Christianity. That's just the reality. Even some of them that are professing Christians don't necessarily have the, the actions to back it up. And so they need prayer, just like everyone else. You all need prayer to, to make the decisions that you're dealing with in your individual industries, right? And you're experts in your industries. Imagine how much more going to the state senate where all of a sudden you have to vote on a bill dealing with railroads. Now, if you're in the railroad industry, you're going to be able to make a very educated decision based on that. Hopefully you'll seek God about it as well. But if that's your industry, you're going to have just natural wisdom and knowledge about it. But on the, on the state level, when we get involved in these things, there's things that I never thought I would deal with or have to touch that all of a sudden that I'm dealing with. With oil credits, tax credits, education, third grade reading plans, uh, end of instruction exams. I mean, you name it, everything out there, we deal with it. We touch it. And I'm not an expert on all those subjects. Yes, I do my due diligence. I do my research. I trust God. I pray about it. I seek wise counsel. But I need prayer and wisdom regarding these things because I'm not an expert in all these topics. Hopefully you all are seeking God even in the things that you are experts in. How much more those at the state capitol who make decisions that can impact every single one of your lives. And we can't just presume that this uh, affects communist governments either because, you know, on the local level there was a city council over in Arizona that had passed a city ordinance dealing with parking that they were using to enforce to say that you could not have a Bible study in your home. In Arizona. That's not over in North Korea. That's in Arizona. That's here in the United States. That was having an impact on the gospel because of a local city ordinance. So we as Christians have a responsibility first and foremost to pray. But also the thing that I want you to see is that um, sometimes we as Christians have this kind of um, this overview of government and we think that, that we are just supposed to do kind of whatever government says. We get this from Romans chapter 13 that it says that we're supposed to be subject to the higher powers and higher authorities, right? We've heard that often that that means that, well, you know, government is, is put there for that purpose so we just have to follow whatever they say. But oftentimes we as Christians have a, a twisted view on that because we're not properly taught about it because we haven't really studied out the scriptures and, and we haven't found what the biblical um, responsibility that we have to governments is. And if you look at it, there's numerous examples both in the Old and the New Testament about um, God's people dealing with governments. One of my personal favorites in the Old Testament is Daniel. In, in the book of Daniel, chapter 6, um, you all remember that uh, there was those people in government. It was some of the presidents, some of the governors. Basically, all the leaders of the government came together because they didn't like Daniel. And so they, they plotted against him. They were playing politics. And they said, we're going to pass a new law, a new ordinance that says that nobody can pray to anybody except for the king for a period of days. Do you all remember that story? In the book of Daniel, it's in chapter 6. If you want to look it up, uh, you can read it later. And um, it specifically says in Daniel chapter 6 that when the, the writing was done, the decree was written, it says that Daniel knew that the law had take, taken effect and he opened up his windows and he prayed as he did beforehand. Yeah. Amen. He didn't just 
go into his, into his prayer closet and pray and hide out, hoping that nobody would find him. He flaunted it. He intentionally violated the law. But sometimes we as Christians say, well, yeah, but we're not supposed to violate the law. You know, we're supposed to be law-abiding citizens. And of course, I'm not saying you're not supposed to. I fully agree with that. We're supposed to be law-abiding citizens. But when a law is unjust, that's when we as Christians have to look at it and say, well, wait a minute. We have to take pause. And, and that law that man had created, saying that Daniel could not worship God or pray to God, he had to worship man, that violated God's law, didn't it? Right? Yes. <clears throat> now, some people say, well, yeah, that's just an Old Testament example. What about in the New Testament? In the New Testament, in Acts chapter 4, you all remember the story. Uh, the man at the gate called Beautiful was raised up. And so uh, the apostles were brought before the, the Sanhedrin, before the leaders, uh, which these leaders in, at that time in Jerusalem were not just the religious leaders. They were the government leaders as well because they were working with Rome. And so they were the government leaders as well. So they were trying to decide what should we do about this because all the people saw this great miracle, and so they respect uh, these men, so we can't really lock them up, we can't really kill them, we can't do anything to them, what are we gonna do? So the leaders, the governmental leaders, the religious leaders got together, and they said, okay, here's what we're gonna do. And so they called the apostles back in, and they commanded them not to preach or teach at all in the name of Jesus. And what did the apostles do? They said, okay, we won't do that anymore. Thank you for being our, our government. We understand that we're supposed to be law-abiding citizens, so we're going to follow that law. Is that what they did as, as, as Christians, as followers of Jesus? No, absolutely not. They said, you be the judges whether we're supposed to follow man or follow God. But as for us, we cannot stop preaching and proclaiming what we have seen and heard. So they said, we're not going to follow that. That's unjust. That's not right. And see, so what we have to realize is that in Romans chapter 13, when it's talking about us being subject to the authorities, the powers that be, what we have to realize, that Greek word for powers means positions or places of authority. It doesn't necessarily mean the individuals in those positions of authority. Because individuals can pervert authority. They can manipulate it. They can twist it. They cannot use that authority to the right ends. So when we're supposed to be subject to those positions of authority, that's different because God is a, a God of structure. He created governments. He, he created order. He is a God of order, right? Even in heaven, he had an order. He had different, different beings in different positions of power and authority. Uh, quick, quick raise of hands if you know this. How many of you have heard of Lucifer, right? Okay. Was Lucifer put in a position of authority in heaven by God? Yes. Yes, right? Did Lucifer pervert that authority? Yes. yes. And a third of the angels followed him. Just because they may have been under his position of authority doesn't mean that they should have followed him because he was in the wrong, because he perverted that position of authority that he held. And those third of angels fell because of that. So we have to realize that just because someone is in a position of authority doesn't mean that they are, that they are properly functioning or that we are supposed to be subject to the way that they might be manipulating or using that authority. And it's important that we understand this because a lot of times as Christians, people will throw in our face, well, if you believe that everything in government is God-ordained and everybody is, every person is placed there by God, then that means that everything that Hitler did was, was ordained by God. Have you heard that argument before? I mean, people use that argument, and they say, well, that means Hitler was put in that position by God. And we as Christians have to have a response for that. And the appropriate response is, well, no, Hitler was put in there, he was democratically elected. He was put in there by the people of Germany. And everything that he did was technically legal. They passed laws for everything that he did. 
They passed laws for the Holocaust. They passed laws for gun confiscation. They passed laws for all these things. And a lot of it, they actually did when they only had 40% of the power. The Nazi party did not have a majority when they gained most of the power. They worked with the other percentage that had the power and they came up with a plan, but they did that all through legal means. They passed laws for it, but that doesn't mean that the people should have followed it. And if you've read the story of Bonhoeffer, you know that, that you know, he, he, he talked about that, that there was not enough people that were standing up against that tyranny. So what we have to understand as, as Christians and as Americans is that yes, we have a responsibility to authority. We shouldn't just be anti-authority just because something is authority. That's, no, we have a responsibility to honor authority, give honor where honor is due. Jesus said that, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. We have a responsibility to do that, but it has to be within the confines of if that authority is actually properly functioning or not. And in America, the highest authority is the Constitution. Yes. That is the supreme law of the land. Not just what some Supreme Court justices decide, not a presidential executive order. It is the Constitution that reigns supreme. And the people are the ones that created the Constitution, were the ones that granted limited authority. Uh, you know, you can look at the preamble, but the very first five words of the Constitution in Article 1, Section 1, is all legislative power herein granted. We granted the power to the legislature. The people gave that power over to the legislature. And, they, and, we, and then we limited the number of things that they were allowed to do for us. Anything outside of that, they're in the wrong. And so we as, as Christians often will have to decide, okay, are we going to, to follow this unjust law? If the, you know, the, the, the city ordinance in Arizona starts to be applied here in, in Tulsa or Broken Arrow, Jinx, Bixby, wherever, that says that you can't have a certain number of uh, cars parked on your street without a permit so that you can't have a Bible study, are we going to just let that happen? Or are we going to say, well, no, I'm sorry, we're subject to the higher authority. You, can, you can't tell us that we can't pray to God. Well, first of all, we have religious liberties enshrined in our Constitution. Thankfully, our Founding Fathers saw the benefit of doing that. And it's not just in the Constitution. This goes back to the Declaration of Independence, which is our, our founding document. Um, you know, the, the Constitution sets the framework, but the Declaration is essentially our, our birth certificate, our birthright. And um, I'll, I'll close here in just a minute with this, because I did want to touch some on, on government and the proper functions within government. And I, I know I'm going fast, but um, I might even have time for a couple of questions. Um, but you know, in the Declaration of Independence, it talks about our rights. And it says that um, you all have heard it, um, that we have, you know, among the governments are, that we have uh, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. How many of you have heard that, right? In the Declaration of Independence, that's often quoted. Um, does anybody know what the very next line of the Declaration of Independence says, right after life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness? George, call you out, no? Anybody wanna guess, anybody know? All right, the very next line after life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, it says that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men. That is the proper function for government, is to secure our rights. That's what, the, that's what the Constitution was created for, was to secure our rights. It wasn't to tell us how to live our lives. It wasn't to, to direct everything you know, from Washington, D.C. It was to secure our rights, and that is the proper function of government. And that lines up with Romans 13, when it talks about that government bears the sword not in vain, that they're supposed to be a punisher of those who do evil. That's the purpose of government, is to punish those who do evil, who violate other people's rights while protecting our rights. And if government gets outside of that, it's our responsibility as Christians to help correct it, to help redirect the ship. And one of the best ways we can do that is through prayer. 
is praying for those who are in those positions of leadership. Because prayer does change things. I'm a huge proponent of prayer. But on top of that, there's things that you as individuals can do. How many of you know who your state senator is? Show of hands. How many of you know who your state house member is? What about your city councilor or mayor? What about your school board member? Okay. If you don't know who they are, you can go and meet with them. Let them know that you are a voter in their district. They will meet with you. All right. Tell them you live in their district, you are a voter, and they will meet with you. And you can ask them out for coffee. You can go meet them at their office. You can find time, however, what, what works with your schedule, what works with their schedule, and take time to go and meet with them. And just find out where they're at on some of these things. Find out where they're at in their walk with the Lord. You know, there's a lot of good Christians that I serve with, but there's other people that I don't know where they're at. And I'm trying to be a light and a witness to them, but it's going to be a whole lot easier for you to do that because I have to work with them on legislation that we might disagree with, and they might take it personal, or they might get upset. But if you're a constituent, if you have that opportunity to say, hey, I want to get to know you, to develop that relationship, because you know in business, just like in, within the church, it's mostly relational. If you can develop relationships, you can have a greater impact on somebody's life. And that's what YBT is about. It's about developing relationships, about mentorships. And so I think that's why this is so, so beneficial for you to help see that. Because we're going to be starting our session here at the beginning of February. It's coming up soon. Uh, we're all working on our legislation. The deadline for that is in about a week and a half uh, that we have to have our legislation filed. So we have some busy periods. But once we're down in session, February through May, we're, we're pretty much down there full time. We're just maybe back on the weekends. So most legislators want to spend time with their families. You know, they have to get caught up on their day jobs, on those things. So right now, is a, is a prime opportunity. It's the beginning of the year. Um, if you want to make this one of your resolutions, reach out to your legislator, to your state house member, to your state senator, um, to your city councilors, to, to those people in those government positions, and, and just talk with them. Just find out where they're at on some of these things and, and help to, to inform them, help to educate them, and tell them that you're, you'll be willing to pray for them. Ask them if they have anything that they need prayer or need help with, because that goes a long way in being able to reach people. And so uh, I hope you understand that the responsibilities that, that we have, as Christians have uh, to be involved in government, that's one way that you can get involved, is personally meeting your legislator. And then, of course, obviously praying for those who, who are in office. Um, if you want, uh, I'd ask Matt. He said this is, would be okay. Uh, one thing that I bring with whenever I uh, go into churches is I do have a, a refrigerator magnet that um, you know just says on it, I, I pledge to pray one day a week for Senator Dom, asking for wisdom, protection, guidance, divine contacts, and praying the Ephesians prayer, Ephesians chapter 1 and Ephesians chapter 3. If you want some of those, I have those. Uh, we'll have them over on the table. You can just grab one of those, stick it on your fridge, and just make a commitment for one day. Pray for me, but don't just pray for me. You know, Pray for all those in government authorities and positions from the president all the way on down. And, you know, so stick it on your fridge, and when you go grab a snack or something, it can just be a reminder to, to pray, to lift us up um, in prayer. And then I also do have a handful of them, um, not too many because uh, I'm running low. I need to order some more. But I have pocket constitutions. also includes the declaration. Um, you can download free apps with the declaration, with the constitution, with all that stuff. But I do have a few, actually, paper copies. If you want some of these, uh, you can grab those as well. Um, and if any of you have any questions, you know, I'll, I'll stick around. Um, I'll have my business cards available. Um, I won't be at many more of these lunches for a while now since we are starting our session in February. I probably won't be able to be back um, until June. But um, even if I'm not your state senator, um, 
decorum is, you know, try, we try to let people go through their state senator first, let them help them out. Uh, but if there's something that I can help you with at any time, um, I'm here to serve you. I understand that what I do, what I do at the state capitol doesn't just impact my district 33. It impacts the whole state. I don't run legislation that just impacts district 33. So what I do, I know impacts you as well. So if there's anything I can help you with at any time, um, please just let me know. Matt, do we have any time for any questions or? A little after quarter after. Two questions. Anybody have any questions? Dr. Fanstill. Uh, tell them about the schools and the number of districts we Sure. Um, and Dr. Fansill actually was my pediatrician, so he's part of the reason I'm here too, because he kept me he kept me healthy for all those years. Um, so uh, had the opportunity to go to his house and answer a lot of questions, and a lot of the people that we talked with were surprised to find out that in the state of Oklahoma we have over 500 school districts, which is more than Florida, more than Texas, more than the majority of states. And along with every single one of those school districts, we have a superintendent that's getting a six-figure salary uh, with benefits and things. We have assistant superintendents. Um, and actually, some of those superintendents and assistant superintendents have a higher salary to manage their district than the governor has to manage the state. So um, we know that education has been in the news. Um, we understand that. We've, we've wanted to do more for teacher pay raise. Um, one of the bills I'm filing this year is to eliminate the state income tax for teachers um, and support personnel at schools so they can at least keep more money in their pockets because we don't have the money to give them right now. But there's a lot of, of waste and abuse and overhead in state government that if we change some of those um, some of those school districts, if we eliminated some of them or consolidated some of them, uh, there'd be a lot of cost savings that we could roll over into the schools and into the teachers directly into the classroom. So that's something that we've been we've been looking at because we actually have out of those 500, um, about 100 of them, almost 20% are also what is called dependent school districts. So we have independent districts and dependent districts. Dependent districts are either kindergarten through sixth grade or kindergarten through eighth grade. They have their own district, their own superintendent who's getting those inflated salaries. And once the student graduates out of the sixth or eighth grade, they have to transfer over to a different district to be able to get their high school education. It makes absolutely no sense to have a separate district that doesn't even offer a full education to students and have a superintendent over that district. We should at least consolidate in those 20% those of dependent districts into the independent districts, and there'd be huge cost savings with that as well. So there's a lot of reforms that we can do. Um, we are going to be looking at those and pushing for them. We, we are trying to do what we can to, uh, to get more funding to education, but for me, it only has to come with reforms. We have to have reforms as well to be able to get more funding uh, into education. Final question? Student vouchers. Um, in Oklahoma, we cannot have vouchers because of our Constitution. We still have uh, the Blaine Amendment. Repealer was on the ballot this this year. Um, I know there was a lot of confusion about it because it was talked about with the, the Ten Commandments. Um, that's something that we're going to continue to push in the future. I would encourage all of you, if you voted against it this time, to vote for it in the future. What it, right now it says, it says that, um, that no money or benefits or anything can go to any religious institution in any way, shape, or form. I'm paraphrasing it. But what that means is that if this, if the interpretation is used that the state Supreme Court has said they're going to use, that means that St. Francis and St. John's, because they are religious institutions, will no longer be able to get the same benefits as um, all the other uh, hospitals in the state of Oklahoma. That means that any religious entities that are doing foster care, like the ones that you all were supporting, they will no longer be able to be involved in foster care because they're a religious institution and they would be getting state
state help to be able to do foster care things. Uh, so we need to repeal that. But right now with that, there is that, um, that does cause a prohibition on vouchers. Um, so we couldn't do vouchers anyways. But there is a possibility of ed doing education savings accounts, which are very similar to health savings accounts. Um, several states have done this. It would be very, it'd be, it'd be started out probably as um, some sort of a pilot program. It'd be very limited, mostly to help the, a lot of the inner city areas where they have most of the failing school districts to give those kids options to where they could take a percentage, probably about 80% of the money that normally goes to them, they could take that money and they could transfer to a different public school, they could transfer to a charter school, they could charter or they could transfer to a private school, but 20% of that money stays with the district. So the districts say that this will cost them, but really they would have more money and fewer students to deal with um, in some of those, those failing areas. So that is something that, that we're looking at. All right. Well, thank you guys. Like I said, I'll stick around. If you have any questions, please come let me know. I hope you've enjoyed this month's message. If you live in the Tulsa area, be sure to join us next month for a free lunch and another great speaker. We meet on the second Monday of every month at Tiamos at 61st and Sheridan at 1140 a.m. For more information about the Young Businessmen of Tulsa, visit www.ybtok.com. At the Young Businessmen of Tulsa, we are building leaders for a lifetime.